But we're going to turn our thoughts to the passages that we heard read to us this morning. Before we do, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. We thank you that you reveal your heart and your desire to see people come to know you. Lord, help us to uh, listen with attentive ears to what your spirit wants to speak, say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you realise that most of Jesus' ministry in his three years was spent in uh, the northern part of Israel in the Galilee, around that Sea of Galilee. The region was called the Galilee. That's the top green arrow on the map there, and the bottom green arrow is where Jerusalem is, which a lot of the other events in Jesus' ministry took place. Around the Galilee, the, the area is quite fertile with good sources of fresh water. And there were many towns scattered around the perimeter of the lake and just a little bit further inland. Uh, the lake was a good source of fish, and we know that some of the disciples were fishermen. But as news spread of Jesus' miracles and his challenging and authoritative teaching, many people came to see and hear him, to sit under his teaching. Some came wanting to see him perform a miracle. Some came because they recognised that he was unveiling the great truths of God that had been locked up in the scriptures and bound up in the laws, the regulations and the rituals of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Some came because they recognised that he was different, that he was more than just a man of God, more than just a prophet, more than just a wise teacher. There was something about Jesus that drew people to him. And people wanted to get close to him. You see, Jesus didn't hold himself aloof with an air of importance or arrogance like many of the religious and military and um, political rulers of the time, even today for that matter. Rather, Jesus spent time in the company of the poor, the destitute, the oppressed, the desperate and the despairing. Jesus took an interest in people and he spoke words of hope and encouragement into their hearts. It was during this time of ministry in the Galilee that Jesus commissioned his 12 disciples and he sent them out in pairs to preach a message of repentance for people to return and follow the ways of God. And he also delegated or gave them authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons in his name. And so they went out and great things happened as they spread the word of repentance and told people about Jesus. As the disciples returned from their mini mission trips, the word came that Herod had beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, which was undoubtedly a great shock to many of those who had known John. Jesus knew that they needed to debrief from their mission trip, but they also needed to have a bit of space and time to allow them to grieve for John. But that was proving difficult with so many people crowding around seeking their help. And so Jesus and his disciples went down to the shore of the lake and climbed into a boat, which probably looked something like that, and they sailed off, as the Bible says, to a solitary place 
away from the crush of the crowds. However, the Sea of Galilee is not all that big. Like it's more than just a, not really a sea, it's a lake. And the crowds realised, or they seemed twigged to the fact where Jesus was heading. And by the time Jesus and the disciples had reached their destination, a large crowd of people had already arrived there before them. But Jesus' reaction is somewhat surprising. The Bible says that when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. It says it was because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And the passage then moves on to see Jesus feeding the 5,000. But what I want to focus on is on verse 34 in Mark 6. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. And this is where we see Jesus' heart for people. You know, Jesus would have been justified for being annoyed or angry, frustrated that he couldn't get away from the people just for a few quiet moments to spend time alone with his closest disciples. And yet despite this, he could see that they were in need. They were hurting. No doubt word of John's death would have spread rapidly and the people were grieving. They were confused. They were at a loss to know what was happening. And after so many years of oppression by the occupying powers, you know, at last there's some hope that God was doing something in their midst, something to bring them freedom again. And now came this tra- tragic blow, blow to their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations. And I imagine that Jesus could even see and even feel their grief, this collective grief, shock. And it says he felt compassion because he could see that they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, people, see, when people grieve, there is often a period where they feel empty and lost. And they look for answers to the big question of why did this happen? Why did this happen to this person? Why did this happen at this time? And so they look for someone or something to feed hope back into their lives. And this is why they turned to Jesus. And Jesus could not turn away. It broke his heart to see people like this. So much so that he put aside his and his disciples' needs to meet the needs of the people gathered around him. But there was a deeper aspect to Jesus' compassion. He knew but they are wanting to find their Messiah. The one promised by the scriptures who would come to free his people from captivity. And in so many ways, they did not know what they really wanted. But there was this emptiness within them, this, what I call a God-shaped hole in their lives that craved a relationship with God. And Jesus knew that he was the one who could fill that need. You know, it broke Jesus' heart to see them in such need physically, emotionally and spiritually. And because it broke his heart, he acted. He put aside his and his disciples' needs to minister to them. I've made a few trips with compassion to visit our sponsored children in Uganda. And I remember sitting on the dirt floor of a mud brick house 
little more than three metres square, with a plastic sheet with holes in it for a roof. There's precious little furniture to speak of. Just a single mattress and a small pile of clothing and very little else of material possessions. See the couple of kids there, the little guy in the uh, red shirt is our sponsor child, Masusi. And he's got a little, is it a brother or sister on the right? We thought it was a sister, but the two little ones in dresses are actually boys because they couldn't afford afford, uh, proper clothes for them. And the smallest one standing next to the guy in the background there, we weren't sure who that was, Um, she found that little one abandoned beside the road and took him in. Cooking was done outside on a small charcoal stove. The toilet was a hole in the ground at the back of the house. Bathing was done with water in a small plastic tub, water which had to be carried about half a kilometre to the house. No electricity, no running water, no money for medical care. This was their home. You might notice the lady there with her left arm is slightly withered. She was disabled in that left arm, so she found it difficult to get any meaningful work. Clothing was torn and dirty. She was willing to work, but it was difficult. Work was sporadic and poorly paid. And you know, it broke our hearts to see people living like this. And there were others. That's the same lady inside. That's the sum total of her worldly possessions, that little pile on the uh, left-hand side there. Another family from one of the slums. And then, i sure how clearly you can see that. That's a stream running through part of the slum. Well, it's really like an open sewer. And the corrugated iron uh, structures at the back there, at the rear, they're Two doors on the right-hand side there. They're doors to people's homes. And, uh, well, I don't need to tell you what was in the plastic bags and stuff that was just put in the garbage that was piled up outside. Breaks your heart. Really breaks your heart. To see beautiful people. Like this little girl. She's my daughter's uh, sponsor child. Her name's Maria Assumpter. Um, Gorgeous little kid that we sponsor them to try and give them hope and a better life, some education. You know, it wasn't until I sat in the reality of poverty that my heart was changed and my priorities changed. And I began to understand Jesus' heart. He doesn't stand aloof from pain, but he gets right down close to it. He gets into it. And he allows his heart to break. But then he responds with action. Last year we had the opportunity to meet Howard and Michelle, who were going to the Philippines with the CMS to build up a church in a remote part of that country, a place where Michelle grew up. But the time they spent earlier in the Philippines changed them. And they they too have a heart to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. People of little hope and opportunity to improve their lives because of poverty, neglect, corruption and violence. 
Make sure you pray for these guys. I think they've already left. Uh, they were leaving around this time to go to the Philippines. But closer to home. I've often had the opportunity to sit with people who are nearing the end of their lives. It hurts, you know, it hurts to see a once strong, robust body reduced to skin and bones, with barely the strength to lift themselves out of a bed or a chair to go to the toilet. It hurts to see people who once had agile, keen minds slip into the dark corridors of dementia and Alzheimer's. And it's that hurt that motivates me to spend time with these people and to love them like Jesus. You know, as we read through the Gospels, we often find that Jesus was moved with compassion. However, there are only two times outside of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was actually moved to tears. The first is when he met the two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were grieving the death of the brother and Jesus' friend Lazarus. The second occasion was when Jesus was on, the fin- on his final approach to Jerusalem. He had walked the dusty roads of Israel and came to the town of Jericho, just to the east of Jerusalem. He then had to climb some rather steep hills until at last he crested the Mount of Olives and he looked across the Kidron Valley to the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, why isn't that working? We visited there a few, couple of years ago, and that's, that's the view across the Kidron Valley, and in the back, uh, towards the back, there is the uh, Temple Mount, which is uh, the site of the temple in Jesus' time. And just to the left is where the Wailing Wall is, the, rem- the remains of Solomon's Temple. This temple, like the Dome of the Rock does today, it dominates the city. It dominates the whole landscape. And it was there as Jesus and his disciples crested that hill on the Mount of Olives, looked across the Kidron Valley. He stopped and he wept. Jesus wept over the city and he prophesied its destruction. And here again, we can see Jesus' heart broken with grief. This time Jesus' heart was breaking for a different reason. You see, the temple was intended to be the focal point of the Jewish faith. It was the place where God was meant to physically be present amongst his people. It was the place where sacrifices were made and where the high priest interceded directly before God for the people. Yet this temple, this great magnificent temple, was a place of great hypocrisy and injustice. The Jewish elders had become so obsessed with the law that it had become the focus of their worship. They had become legalists and they had oppressed the general population with countless petty rules and regulations. They were proud of their exalted positions that they held in the community and the wealth that those positions attracted. But it seems they cared more for adhering to the rules, recognising that the law was meant to point people to God and to protect and support the poor and the needy, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners and the slaves in their midst. Jesus wept over the city because of the injustice, the sinfulness and the unrighteousness he saw 
that had come to represent. It broke his heart and he wept because they were lost. We too have a magnificent new building in the centre of this community, Voran Park. Like the disciples, we can look at this building and be caught up with the statement that it is actually making for, to the wider community. I feel that we are um, making that a declaration that Jesus in this, is in the midst of this community and that this suburb is being blessed by God. That this suburb, in this suburb, everything is good and safe, where people are content and happy. But this, unfortunately, is also a suburb that is a home to many lost and broken people. And I imagine it must break Jesus' heart to look beyond the beautiful facades of the new homes to see what the people of Oran Park are really like. How it must grieve him to see our insatiable lust for possessions, people seeking security in their homes and their bank accounts and not in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. How it must grieve him to see the injustice of we who are wealthy ignoring the needs of people across the world who face lives of poverty and disease. How it must grieve Jesus to see us reaching out for fulfilment in things that will never fully satisfy, swallowing the deceit of Satan, that we are our own God, that we do not need a saviour. How it must grieve Jesus for we who call ourselves Christians do not live according to the commands and principles he gives us in the Bible and how we water them down and water down our faith so that it is acceptable to our wider society. We live in an evil and adulterous generation. We live in a city which has all the outward appearances of being a city of order and justice. But deep down we live in a sinful society that is in desperate need of a saviour. A saviour whose heart breaks for the lost and the sinners of the world. A saviour who sacrificed himself on the cross to take the punishment for our sins so as to provide us with a way to have a deep and meaningful relationship with our God. So what breaks your heart? Do you weep with Jesus over the city of Sydney or the community of Oran Park? Does it break your heart to see injustice and behaviour that dishonours God? Does it break your heart when people slander and belittle our Lord Jesus in the public arena? Why am I speaking this way? It's because if we are to become passionate about Jesus... We need to understand what breaks his heart. We need to see the people who live around us, who work beside us, people who are related to us, people who we play sport with or spend time with. We need to see them as Jesus sees them. We need to see them with eyes of compassion and love. And we need to realise that they are sinners like us who desperately need a saviour to avoid spending an eternity in hell. 
Now my question to you is how are we bringing Jesus' love to the least? Who are we praying for on our 316441 cards this year? Our hearts need to break for them because only then will we be caring enough to sacrifice our time and our energy to get to know them and then be bold enough to introduce them to Jesus. I wonder, does it break your heart to see the superficiality of so many of our relationships when God wants us to have meaningful, purposeful and intentional relationships with each other that reflect the very character and the heart of our three-person God? Who are you sharing a meal with who is yet to know Jesus? How well do you know the members of your family or your people in your circle of friends? How are their marriages going? Are they struggling to raise their children? Do they have the responsibility of caring for ageing parents or relatives? Do you know them well enough to offer meaningful help and encouragement? Does it break your heart to see the needs of people in our church? and in our community and further afield to the point where you take a stand against corruption and injustice, where you step out of your comfort zone and make some sacrifices to reach out to people who need practical help and care and to do so with enthusiasm and joy. Little acts of love and kindness can make a huge impact on people. So what are you doing to make a difference in people's lives? Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and he was prepared to act to address the injustice and the corruption and the hopelessness he saw, even at the point of dying on the cross for their sins and for our sins. Do we have God's heart? Do we have Jesus' heart for this city, for this suburb? Perhaps it is this year that God is asking you, to step up and respond to his heart's desire for you to reach out to the people he was prepared to give his life for. Are you ready to ask him to change your heart? Can I just ask you to just take a moment to reflect on what breaks your heart? Where is the passion of your heart? And ask God to bring your heart in line with his Let's just take a moment of quiet, and quiet reflection to think this through. Our gracious Lord, we pray that we may have hearts that are open to your desires for us and for the people around us. Soften our hearts where there is hardness. Give us generous and compassionate hearts and the capacity to, to give freely, joyously. Father, we pray that the harvest may be plentiful as you guide and direct us and our church community 
We pray that this year we may see great things happen in the midst, in our midst, in the lives we know and in the lives of people we love and care for. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.